Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got. friggin guy <clears throat> excuse me spit david spit we're spitballing we're throwing stuff on the wall we're seeing what sticks it's called stick i mean spit <laughs> spit <laughs> david lee scales scott bass talking surf with you on this friday august 9th the year 2019 good morning david good morning scott i am man i'm like uh, low energy i wish i had a coffee or something i wish i didn't run out of coffee that sucks. I've got plenty of energy. I'm full of uh, vinegar and what's the term? Not spit and vinegar. Yeah, spit, spit and vinegar. Hey, spit and vinegar. Who how knew? was how was that coffee, by the way? It was under un, unbelievable. It really? was really good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Be prepared. Thanks for be a lot thanks of, for offering me one. Oh, I absolutely would have purchased you one. I rolled down my window. You said nothing. You said, "Hey, get me a cup too." You didn't say that, so right, uh, dude. So you look like a walking billboard right now. I, yes, I actually need a photograph. I don't know why I didn't already take the photo. Yes, um, let me get this. What's going let me on? Get this in the picture. What's going on? What are you advertising? I'm just wearing my uh, branded garb, boardroom show garb. I'm just. You're a walking boardroom show billboard today. <laughs> just believe me, it's dorm room floor. Whatever I grab that's nearby just happens to be this, and then well, I put this hat on because I was. Having sort of a bad hair day, and I don't want to be upstaged by your great hair, do so. Clearly, clearly, I feel like mm-hmm. that hat is a prophylactic. It's like <laughs> you put that thing on, and you'll get. Uh, <laughs> well, what you won't get pregnant? <laughs> exactly, that's pretty um, true. Uh, so you just whatever didn't sell, whatever merch didn't sell at the boardroom show is now your wardrobe. Essentially, is what you're telling me. No, that's incorrect. We had an incredible run on merch at the boardroom show. This is just stuff that I grabbed off of the dorm room floor. Check this. I bought the very last "Surfers Are the Worst" T-shirt. Yes. Because a listener emailed me and he's like, "Dude, I want some of those T-shirts, but they're not available on theboardroomshow.com or whatever." I'm like, no sweat. I'll get it for you and just ship it to you. So I got it for it, ship it to him. Never heard from him again. Never received payment for it. Nothing. <laughs> just fully got burned. Well, I, I, um, I have sent off numerous stickers to various people who, oh, have, yeah. who have asked about it. And yeah. um, I think at first they asked for a t-shirt. And I'm like, no, no shirts. We sold out of those shirts, but I've got some stickers. So, And I mean, I think I sent one to New Zealand. I think I sent one to um florida you know around yeah you know and just two days ago i was at barry snyder's surfboard factory in oceanside Mm -hmm. and there's one of the stickers just proudly displayed over a door you know walking through a a doorway so i know it's nice to see surfers make their way make their way around the world um we have a phone call scheduled with devin howard should we do that now or should we do it are you ready i'm gonna call him oh yeah and we're working out the tech so I hope you've got some questions for him. I tried to, I tried to create questions, and I was having a problem. Coming Were up. you? Yeah. Because you don't care about longboard surfing, is that the issue? No, it's not that. I I went and I I tried to watch the duct tape thing, and I looked on the W. I, I did some research on it, and I'm just. Well, let's just hear from Devin. Well, let's see if this um. This is a test run for us, right? Test run of the tech. You've David's got this incredible phone soundboard. 
Is it possible to put drops on that thing? We need drops. Totally. We Each really of need these drops. buttons. We could just load it and just. Boom. You haven't done that yet. Let's hold. Uh, You've had that thing for like four months. Or something. Yeah, I know. I've got other things. We need some drops. Got other dude, that's can't be that hard. Pressing on issues. No, you're right. It can't be that hard. What do you want the drop to say? Why don't you design the drops for me? Send them, and then I'll load them. <laughs> dude, that was so well done. The way that you just com completely. Uh, you did the right thing. The though. way that I made it 50-50? <laughs> no. The no. way that I made it so that I'm not doing 100% of the work? Is that what you're... I was going to say the way that you delegated that. Thank you. That work. I've noticed you're really good at delegation. It's not my skill set. Yeah. But like the boardroom show, for example, is like very well staffed. Everybody like Tim, um, Tracy, the Christian surfers guys, all like everybody knows their role. They're really good at it. And it works successfully because of it. Yeah. You thought I was going to, thought I was going to dig. Yeah. Dig you you know, who knows coming from you? <laughs> feels like you've been dig you, you just think if I would have got you coffee, how angry you'd be. <laughs> um, dude, none of these calls are working. Got yeah. It. That's the one I thing I tried internet. It's hard here, dude. I I'm getting one bar. We're in the surfing heritage and culture center library slash boardroom. And I'm barely getting one bar here. I never, I, I've, I've been on the board of directors here. I've been working with Shaq for probably 15 or 20 years. and We've never had good cell reception. No. But I thought I could do it over the internet. Like, uh, yeah, with FaceTime, Wi-Fi. FaceTime call. Do you got your wife? Do you got your wife? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't work. He's not answering. Um, all right. Well, anyways, way, carry on. Shaq is having their temples of Stoke tonight. I think is the, uh, yeah, the opening. So, so let me get back. Shaq, Surfing Heritage Culture Center in San Clemente, 110 Calle Iglesias in San Clemente. Tonight, they're having their opening of their new exhibit, which looks fascinating. I'm going to go back there in a minute and take a deeper look. It's called Temples of Stoke. And it's basically an homage to the California surf shops where we learn to be surfers. And tonight from 6 to 10... Will be as I mentioned the grand opening. There'll be music, drinks, food, fun, friends, and art show. I'm not sure who the music is. Let me see here because it wouldn't surprise me if somebody like Tom Curran showed up for this. Anyway, it doesn't say who the music is, but regardless, um, it's 25 bucks to come to this thing this evening, and they're basically little mini exhibits of various surf shops up and down the coast of California where. As Shaq so aptly put it, we learn to become surfers. And of course, we all, we mentioned this last time. I think you had, um, was it Newport Surf? No. What was your shop of choice? Frog House? Or? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm doing a podcast series with a number of the shops that are exhibiting here. But so, as a Grom, I guess. They, oh, yeah. As a Grom. As a Grom, what was your shop? Jack's or HSS? Harbor or? and Seal Beach. Oh, right. For sure. Yeah. Um, That's a core shop. Frog, like, ha frog Harbor House. Harbor actually had. A factory in the back, like they built boards there, right? Yes, they still like, do. And, yeah, they that's, still shape. That's my thing. Like, that's the real sort of shop identity that's that's being phased out by the real estate prices. And so, the fact that there's still a few of those that still exist, like, what is will Harbor be the last surf shop where in the back they make the boards? Is it? It's probably the only one that still exists that I know of. Like, as I'm thinking here, I'm going through my head, thinking of surf shops. And I can't Hold think on. of any. Oh, Devin, can you hear us? Are you there? Howdy, howdy. I'm, yeah, it sounds good. Sounds Boom. clear. Boom, we got you, dude. We've yeah. got you on the interface. Wow, you're, you're, 
such a tech genius there, David. Um, I am a tech neophyte, but it's, it's coming together. <laughs> Scott's laughing <laughs> at that comment. He knows I'm not a tech genius. Um, so Devin, we were just talking about the importance of surf shops because Shaq is doing the temples of Stoke exhibit honoring California iconic surf shops. What is your most iconic California surf shop that you grew up with? Oh, without question, Mitch's surf shop in La Jolla. Really? Second, second would be Mitch's surf shop in Solana beach. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Tell I me mean, about I, Mitch's. Well, the thing that was cool about it as a, as a kid was Mitch was known as the place to, you know, get the, get a little bit of a deal, which I know a lot of surf shops look down on. You're not supposed to get deals, but Mitch had the basics and you, you could also get all your shaping supplies. So there was something kind of cool about that. And a lot of today's biggest shapers got their start through Mitch. I know, Rusty did, Tony Staples, a bunch of guys did. And, um, yeah, and Mitch was a bro. I ended up working for him in college. I worked for Mitch for five years. Best boss I ever had. It's funny. We were talking about, I mean, there's kind of a distinct difference between surf shops that actually um, either are associated with a board building brand, you know, like that's how they were started, or with Mitch's at least selling blanks and surfboard manufacturing supplies as opposed to just big box retailers. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's interesting. And he, he never really had a, a Mitch's brand, but he did support, uh, a two, I think two main shapers, David Craig. So if you ever went back in the day, he supported this amazing shaper from Imperial beach, David Craig and the other guy, Jim Ellington. Mm. And, you know, those are two, you know, long time, well-known shapers from the area. So, but you know, places like Claremont surf shop had their own sort of, you know, house brand. And I think they had Tony Staples do them. Can you envision a future where all surf products are just bought online and you don't even have to go into a retail shop? Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but yes. Um, yes, I can because I just think we're, we're getting, uh, I think people are just getting more comfortable getting everything from their home. I think the world appears to be a little bit of a scary place. I just think conversations I have are like, I don't really want to go to a mall or a big place with a bunch of people, um, which is kind of a, a sad whole other side story. And it's, I think it's going to be troublesome though for bigger boards. Uh, I think for surfboards, anything that's sort of over six feet, I know that the shipping rates with UPS and FedEx you, you know, you can get a surfboard in the six foot range and under for like 30 to 50 bucks or something like that, mm. which is, is doable for people. But then when you get in the long boards, uh, it jumps up to like a hundred to 150. Yeah. So I, that'll be interesting for the bigger board market. I, I don't know. Yeah. What will be lost on surf culture? This is for both you and Scott. What will be lost on our youth culture if they don't have to go through a surf shop? Um, you know, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's just, a. I want to make sure I'm not like old guy perspective here because I know what it meant. I'm 45. So I know it was a big deal. I think that's where we soaked up a lot of our culture. It's where, you know, for better or for worse, we would, we would learn what's sort of cool and what isn't, right. you know, we trusted, we trusted the, the cool 
people that worked at the shop or who we perceived as being cool. Yeah. Um, but I don't even know if those people, are there that many of those people still working at the shops? I, I don't go in enough surf shops now to know. Well, if you know niches, I, there are. Well, niches there are because my, my brother is there managing it. I know my brother's pretty cool and he rips. And, I mean, guys like my brother, yeah, you, you can trust what they have to say. So how do you get that across on a website is you're going to have to have that live chat or give someone a call. I think if you position your shop as like, you know, we are, you know, we're the board gurus or whatever. Give us a call and we'll guide you through. Um, Could you imagine the I, live chatting to be like, hey, dude, which sandbar is happening right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's kind of the information that we would get. It's very difficult to yeah. tape somebody to the light post with duct tape via <laughs> live chat. You yeah. just put like an offensive but, meme on the live chat. That's the same, same thing. But really, like just playing devil's advocate, like I, I'm not. Look, I'm not at all for seeing surf shops go away. I love surf shops, but just the, another way to look at it is like, how how much do I need the surf shops? Everything that we need to know is on social media, and if you're even looking at websites like Stab or Surfline, you're getting the rest of it there. I mean, look at all of the info that we get through Noel Salas and all the different people that review boards through your guys' show, Surf Splendor. I mean, there's so much info out there that how, how much do I really need that shop person for? Because a lot of us, before we even go in that shop, have pretty much made up our mind. Right. Would, would, wouldn't you think? I don't know. I think Let me say this. Let me say that, um, you know, we live in sort of a data-driven world, and one of the things that I think is hard to quantify is the level of stoke that, say, I get when I go into – as an enthusiast that like, let's say I go to a Tesla store. I went into a Tesla store the other day. Now I'm not a Tesla geek or any, I'm not going to buy one, but I went into the store and the experience of being in the store, Apple store is actually a better example. You go into Apple and you sort of get this real sense of like, I'm like, there's a real, and again, you can't quantify it, but you're kind of stoked. If you're an Apple enthusiast, you're stoked. And the same thing holds true if you walk into Mitch's or any surf shop, for that matter, that has tons of wetsuits and tons of surfboards. I personally am like, I'm stoked. You know, I don't outwardly say that, but I'm kind of geeked out. I'm in a good mood. I'm, and you're not going to get that via direct-to-consumer web. Now, again, that's unquantifiable. An MBA is not going to be able to put that on a spreadsheet. And so it may disappear. But the level of stoke that Devin gets, that David gets, that Scott gets, that all of us get when we go into a shop is pretty, it's real. It's visceral. Like yeah. I'm, I'm looking at all the boards. I'm geeking out. on. I'm talking to. So that thing, that, that thing, whatever it is that we get, that, that sense that we're in it. Um, again, it's hard to quantify, but I think it's real. And, it, and it, if that goes away, Again, you know, the 14-year-old kid might not ever feel that. But I think, like, a 13-year-old kid is going to go into a shop right now. He's super more stoked than he is when, he, than when he's on Instagram looking at Chloe and Dino's feed or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think I totally agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm 100% for the shops. I, I think what would be great is if, you know, you guys just talking about it and, and supporting it and, and more people talking about supporting surf shops i think it's good for the community and I, yeah. that's sort of like the broader discussion that's happening in the world in our country right now is as you know we've seen where there's more and more walls and more and more barriers in, in, in a lot of ways and what we're losing out as we're sort of retreating into technology more into our homes is that 
that whole fabric, the whole social fabric, the whole community piece of it, um, I think we're missing something of the human experience. And that, that's what's pretty rad about these surf shops, you know? Totally. And Going in and, and the characters you get to meet in there are great. Right along those lines, retail that is thriving nowadays is experiential. You know, they're not, Absolutely. they're definitely not competing on a price point. They have less inventory than the internet has, but they're creating an experience. And so on the kind of department store level, it's a makeup application counter and a coffee bar and a restaurant upstairs and that sort of thing. And so that's every time you and I, or any of us have talked about what we remember from surf shops, we talk about the experience that we had there. And so just kind of, uh, it doesn't have to be a manufactured experience. It is authentic, but that's what we wanted when we were kids. And that's what I think uh, will thrive in today's market. What are you laughing at, Scott? Hashtag David goes to makeup application. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, if I want to spend my weekends in Nordstrom, that's my business. Okay. Um, so, Devin, you know what I want to know from you? Sure. What's um, okay. By the way, Let Devin, for those who this. don't know, Devin's the commissioner of the WSL Longboard Tour. So that, we should put that out there. Perfect. Perfect <laughs> dovetail to my question, which is how does it feel to go from like a lowly, uh, lowly, lowly surf <laughs> grom who just like kind of gets to dominate the local spot to the most high powered position for the most important surfing organization <laughs> of our time. Oh my goodness. Wow, is it that important what we're doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, now you're just this high-powered, what do you wear, business suits to work now? Well, I, I am wearing the Aloha shirt right now. It is Friday. Oh, okay. So, okay, I'm, Friday. yeah, I'm pretty, pretty corpo there. I got some hot box. But, hey, no, it, you know, it's, it's, been really, it's been really fun. I, it's not something I ever, ever imagined doing. And um, we can blame Wingnut for this because uh, this, it was like, I don't know, early this year, he texted me, he's like, hey, you know, the WSL is looking at revamping, kind of a reboot of the longboard approach. Would you be interested in that? And I was like, hell no, I have no interest in that. And, you know, mostly because longboard and competition, it, it, it's just been this, for anyone that's followed, it's just a really boring kind of discussion. There's the two camps, they don't like one another. Um, you know, you're either into the traditional form or high performance and just can't seem to be any common ground. So, but he's like, no, look, I think, I think there's a way we can make it work. He got on the phone, talked to him, talked to the owners of the WSL, talked with Sophie at length. And by the end of that process, I felt that there was a real opportunity to, to actually bring this all together. And I, I was like, you know, if, if I could play some small role in that, you know, as I'm, older guy kicking out of any of the surfing that I could really, you know, sort of do and achieve. Maybe I can contribute that way. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So have so, you guys been following any of this at all? Is, well, is there much noise. What even? am I supposed to follow? I mean, I, I'll tell you this, Devin, I went, I'm like, Oh, we're doing a thing with Devin. Let me go on the WSL's website and take a peek. And I saw some like QS 1000s have gone down. There's been like five of them in Europe and there's a bunch of guys who I don't know their names and, I'm sure they're great surfers, but I got to say it's not on my radar. The only thing that's on my yeah. radar is Justin Cantal. And, and I was like, oh, the Vans duct tape. I'm going to go watch video of that before this interview. You did watch the Noosa event, though. I did. I was and you stoked were into on the, the final. Noosa. I was totally into yeah. it. Yeah. That was a big one. That yeah. was a QS 6000, right? 
Yeah, and you guys talked about, there was a recap you guys yeah. did, which I thought was really honest and, and fair. I liked it. With, like The way you guys covered it was great. I guess my point is is that there's it's, it's an uphill battle for you to find space in the marketplace against sure. the WSL men, the WSL women, the WSL big wave. It's a tough. It's a tough road for you, quite frankly, you know. And and it, and so as an end user, I haven't seen a whole lot of WSL longboard to sort of get me salivating. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's totally fair. And I think, and I think that's going to change here shortly. And look, I'm just there part time. People congratulate me all day, like, you know, we're so stoked for you. And I'm like, so good, and great job. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's awesome. But you know, it's it's four events and and. You know, I'm, I'm contracted for a minimal amount of hours. I'm just there to kind of lay the foundation so that we can tee this up for something bigger and better next year. And and so Noosa, which happened back in March, I was literally hired two weeks before. And I'm like, okay, well, what can I do in that amount of time? Um, I'm just going to focus on the judging. So we worked on looking at the criteria and then applying the criteria uh, you know, in the best way possible. And I did notice initially that a lot of the surfers that we see in the duct tape events, Harrison Roach, Quintal, and a number of people were not entered into the WSL event. And, and that's just really based off the last 20 years and the way that the one event sort of world titles gone down. Those folks never felt welcome. In fact, that's why Joel Tudor started the duct tape. What was that? 10 years ago, yeah. you know, even though Joel had two world titles from the ASP, he, he was just not a fan of the judging. So he kind of said, middle finger, I'm out. Vans and I are going to start our own thing. And 10 years later, you know, maybe right up to the point of where Wingnut gave me the, the text and the phone call, uh, it didn't seem like there was any real hope of those two camps coming together. And, um, so we've just focused on the judging and you're right, Scott, there isn't much out there. In fact, we were just talking the other day, if you Google it, no one even could understand what's happening, you know? So even just us talking is probably more info than than anybody's going to find. So we're working on, um, what we're going to do is we're going to put up an article that we're going to write that essentially just is the who, what, where, when, why, what is this? So if you Google it, that's going to come up at the top. And the WSL's going to crank up the awareness. You're going to see a lot of uh, chatter and talk about the New York event. Seems, you know, that it's, it's probably the best opportunity for the WSL to really aim all of its focus at this. Noosa was happening right before Snapper Rocks in the beginning of the year, so there was no emphasis on it. There's been no events for months. And now, you know, we're going to hit Tahiti. And then right on the back end of that, we're going to have Spain and New York. So there's going to be a moment there before the freshwater for the WSL to really go hard at it. And they're throwing more into the commentary. Uh, They're going to have um, uh, Kaipo Guerrero, who you would think is an odd choice to throw in there. But they want to bring more energy and support and experience from the broadcast side. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of planning going into it to, to really get ready so that when, you know, the WSL is more or less marketing these events coming up, that when you guys go there and everyone else goes to tune in, 
we're going to have our shit together. And I think that's going to be really the spark of the store. And, and we realized that the awareness piece, it, it's been way down for everybody's priorities at the WSL, but internally there's a lot going on, a lot of energy, um, a lot of talk with the surfers and the New York event is full. We have 72 surfers and a lot of the names you will recognize in there from the duct tape event. Cool. So there's three events total for the tour. Four. Four. The way it works is there's Nusa, Spain, and New York. You kind of think of those as, for lack of a better term, almost like the qualifying. And there's a final event in Taiwan, which has twice the prize money. Got it. To get in, yeah, to get into Taiwan, you've got to be in the top of the ranks. And then what we'll do is we'll take the top two results from those first three events and combine it with your place at Taiwan. So those three results are your world champion. Gotcha. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. What's your, um, ideal, what's your greatest ambition? Like if you could throw together the ideal tour for 2020, what would that look like and how many people would be on it? I think the idea would be to do the same thing because what I, what I like about these events we're doing is that it's just like the old days, Scott, when you just show up to an ASP event, your money, and you can surf from the very first round, almost like the trials all the way through. Yeah. Um, they don't do that anymore uh, on the shortboard tour. So I, I would stick with what we have. I, I think I'm a fan of narrow and deep. So instead of expanding, I think we need to get this thing right first. Yeah. And, we have nooses locked in for next year and they're already a go. Um, we, we've already been talking to New York about coming back. They, they already want us back, even though we haven't even had our event yet. They're excited. Um, cool. Malibu is something that's not on the tour, but I think everyone agrees, like from a global standpoint, that, that that's a big miss not having Malibu. Mm. So um, I don't know if that's going to happen for next year, but that's something we would love to happen. Hey. And then... Taiwan would be the last one. Okay. Yes. Uh, go ahead. Devin, a quick question about um, some of these QS 1000 longboard events. There's been quite a few. In fact, there's one going on as we speak in England. And I'm wondering Correct. if you are seeing a conflict between sort of the high performance longboarders, which there seems to be quite a few of those in Europe, um, and the sort of more traditional. Are, are you sensing, are you getting any feedback or pushback from the guys that have been, you know, aggressively on this tour for a number of years and surfing in sort of a high performance capacity. Are you getting emails? Are you getting any, you know, are you getting pushback from the other side? Mm, no, I, I, I think what I'm only hearing about those QS events is that we're starting to question, are they relevant? The participation's pretty low. Mm people are saving their money and focusing on these four big events we have and looking at the sort of bigger show. Mm. And so we have to analyze, is it, you know, if you're having 16 people sign up for an event, I mean, we're, we're literally losing money on them. So it's, it's, it's less about the type of surfing and more the participation level because the, these surfers, you know, they, a lot of them work in restaurants and they just don't have sponsors and it's, you know, I, I know some of the Brazilian surfers are, are fishermen, you know, and they, you know, with the Brazilian dollar, it's really tough. 
for them to get to these events. So I think it's a question of are they going to be relevant in terms of the, but really in terms of the, the judging, um, I, I think that the, the surfers understand what the criteria is. And because we don't say the words high performance, we don't tell people what to ride. I haven't had to have really that many of those conversations. I think the concern of anyone that's high performance is, you know, are, are we turning, is someone like myself going to turn longboarding into a nose ride contest? Right. And absolutely not. I, I think we're really closely aligned in, uh, with where the duct tapes are, which is, if, if you've been following those at all, um, you know, it's a little bit of Phil, it's a little bit of David, it's a little bit of Matt. And it's the idea that the board is continuously moving and in, you're engaging the rail, but it's, it's clearly a focus on style. It's still, it's clearly a focus on beautiful surfing from, from the men and the women. Mm-hmm. Are you and getting, so, go ahead. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like two guys come to mind. One is Harley Ingleby. The other is, uh, t- Taylor. What's yes. it? Jensen. Jensen, thank you. Jensen. Yeah. Is it Tyler or Taylor? Taylor. Taylor. Taylor Jensen. I get the, that's like, you know, that's a hard name. It's like Christine and Christina. It's like, mm-hmm. look, help me out. <laughs> Anybody names their kid that should be slapped. I just hate when then the person gets offended as if like you're way off. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Taylor's like, it's Tyler. Yeah. Right. So anyways, Taylor Jensen. Taylor and Harley, these two guys are red hot surfers on any board. Sure. These are the types of guys I could see shooting you a phone call and going, Devin, what do you want me to do? I can do it all. Just tell me what you want and I will go do it. You know, are you getting calls yeah. from those guys? Cause I think those are the guys that are, you're like, cause it's either like you get like one camp or the other and truly the best of the best are those guys like Taylor and Harley that can sure. just go out on a single, you know, on a twin fin and rip. You know, I, I haven't, I've been in touch with those guys. What, what it is they, what's happened over the years is there's been a criteria and then what happens at the event, the criteria is not being applied. So what, whether it's Taylor or Harley or Justin Quintal or Harrison Roach or Joel Tudor for that matter, who is going to be competing in New York, he's just signed up for the event. Uh, a little bit ago he signed up. That's some pretty big news. That's a whole other story. The fact that Joel Tudor's in the WSL event, after 10 years of a middle finger that is amazing to me. Yeah. Um, and I How think did that, that go speaks- about, did you speak with Joel about that? Did you know that was coming down the pipe? Did he talk to you? And I mean, yeah, talk about he- some pressure for you is to have, <laughs> I mean, if anyone knows yeah. the backstory between you and Joel, <laughs> it's going to be, uh, now you're really getting gray hair. Uh, no, I, I look, it's it, the whole, reason Joel started the duct tape is he, he just completely, fundamentally, absolutely disagreed with the, the way that longboard surfing was being judged. Anyone who's followed this knows that. That's, that's been loud and clear. What's changed for Joel, and he reached out to me. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't reach out to him because I, I, I think you know, you got to get this thing going and prove yourself. And after he watched Noosa, he watched every heat, and he basically gave me his take on the whole thing, and, and he was really happy to see that the criteria that WSL had had for three years now was, was applied. And part of that was getting enough surfers to apply it with. And so he's fired up and he's on board. And if anyone watched the duct tape, you know, he, he was, um, dare I say, getting kudos to the, to the direction things are going. Awesome. So um, that's, 
you know, it's, it's really nice. And we're no, you know, the WSL is not doing this to make Joel happy or to appease him. I just think over time, it, it's just become apparent. Like, what what does the market, if you will, what what do viewers and and fans, what do they want to see? I mean, he, and, he's super relevant as a surfer, and yeah. he's also just a fascinating character. Well, let's just give ourselves a pat on the back. Frankly, we've been poo-pooing the longboard tour for about eight years, and they were like, God, <laughs> David Scott have got it right. Let's just follow that, what they're saying, which they do on a lot of topics, frankly. Yeah. Um, Devin, in closing, I just, yeah, in, in yeah, closing, yeah. I want to know how, the talks, really. how your talks are going with the WSL for introducing an egg tour. Jeez. Uh, um, we haven't even got there yet. So, um, I, it's funny. A few people message me like, this has got to be a egg or a mid length, uh, tour. I'm like, there's already enough people going straight. We don't need more. I just vomited in my mouth a little bit. I just want you to know that. <laughs> we don't, we don't need to see that. I, I think, look, I think Torrin Martin is doing just, a, he's doing a fine enough job for us. And, and, and you know, thank God for Instagram in some ways because it's like the guys like that that are riding those boards, I think have captured our imagination enough. I mean, yeah. how many bottom turns and cutbacks can you watch? I, I, like, I, I, I myself, a never ending <laughs> supply. <laughs> and I don't need to see a competition of it. Like I'm happy just seeing one off waves here and there. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, what is it? The event is just happening in the Maldives. You know, maybe oh, yeah. it'd be kind of fun to see those guys. Maybe one year they, introduce instead of just like a the whatever subjective term single fin which ends up almost all the single fins those guys ride that maldives event they look like short boards with a single fin on it totally. so it'd be kind of cool to maybe just throw in the term mid-length and, and give them a range yeah and um you know so yeah. we still gotta we gotta have you ever You've been riding a mid-length, right, David? You're riding Dude, the uh, Torrin Martin special? It is my favorite board that I've ridden in years. It's like changed my game completely. I love it. And it looks like those keels um, in the channels, uh, I can't tell if it's just because Torrin's an amazing surfer or what's going on, but it looks like there's crazy amount of hold when he's up on the front of his board, how the fins don't drop out in the barrels kind of nutty yeah i've never been that far up on the board i kind of ride it in the back third and i obviously haven't been riding like barreling waves either and on your belly too you got well there's it. that yeah. um but yeah the fins are actually giant for how narrow the tail is um but it's super maneuverable it's crazy yeah and you're seeing a lot of a lot of people are inspired by that design there's a lot of twin fins that are coming out with the keel set up yeah it seems to be pretty popular yeah. um but, you know, those those designs have been around for a long time. But I think what Torrin's done is he's pulled in the tails. So there's a bit more of a performance element to it versus, like, the long fish that Skip Fry has been doing forever and Josh Hall has been doing it. So it's kind of cool to see. I, I'd like to try it. We'll have to meet up sometime. I, I still have I've yet to be on, on one of those boards yet. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to see you ride that thing. All right, well, Dev, cool. is there anything Thanks else for- you need, need to promote before we kick <laughs> you off? <laughs> No, there's no, no promotion here, but I, I appreciate you guys taking interest in, uh, you know, what's going on with this longboard tour. And if anyone wants to mark their calendar, uh, the end of August, we'll be in Spain, August 28th to, to 31. And then September 6th to 12th, we will be in New York. And um, we will be actually just was looking this morning, 
Um, we're going to be part of a, a paddle out for 9-11. It, it's going to be one of the bigger ones you'll see because we're, we're right at the footsteps of the city. And that's been a, a sort of an important um, commemoration each year. So it's kind of an honor to be a part of that. And um, it's going to be, be a, a really great event. Epic. Thanks, you guys. Thank yeah. you, Devin. Thanks Good for talking calling in, man. Okay. We'll hope to see you in the water soon. Miss surfing with your bass. So I don't know. I didn't think I'd ever say that, but I just said it. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the same, but I don't feel that way. <laughs> Love right. you, Devin. Bye-bye. Love you, too. See That's you, guys. Bye. 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 When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Um, cool. So that was, that was good. I had, what's that about? What? Do you guys have a beef? <laughs> Should we fill <laughs> listeners in? Uh, no, they can go back and listen to past episodes. <laughs> <laughs> is there video that exists? Is there, there is. can we find, I think there is video. Um, Surfers are the worst. Well, Hashtag surfers are the worst. Yeah, uh, this speaking of writing a mid-length, you've got one. And listeners, by the way, I absolutely love mine. People, I've been writing it all week and I'm going on a trip soon and I'm just and I don't want to take a board because I have a board down there. Oh. But I kinda want to bring this board. What are you writing? That that Torn Martin thing. A seven two Tell listeners what you're well, writing. Well, Ryan Sakel made me this beautiful seven two Torn Martin inspired twin fin, you know mid-length with channels off the tail just like and ryan came to me he's like scott i was thinking we should make you one of these boards you know and i was like yeah and it's just like very similar to yours right so it's seven two i don't know i bet it's like 21 20 and a half inches wide round pin it's and i'm totally digging it. it's got the keels the rasta keels or whatever the futures and i'm really really enjoying it and i've been riding it in really sucky little wedgy sandbar waves really yeah where I do the bottom turn, get up in the middle of the board and just drive through the sections and and it's, I'm totally digging it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, because I rode mine in waves that were kind of similar to that, like a little bit hollow and I could not, like basically I needed to like knife in, you know, like backside just kind of slide in pig, pig dog style and it, the board would just slide down the face every time. So then I had to like 
get back more on the tail where there's a sharper edge that might catch and then I could do it. But there was so much board out in front of me that I couldn't quite get in drive into a section. So I was just riding the wrong board in those conditions. It's a weird thing because when you think about it, a round rail is supposed to um, hold the water and an edge releases the water. So the edge is actually what makes you slide oh, so down. My, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Anyway, or maybe it's just too much board, and so if, my, if I'm up in the middle, the fins aren't really even connecting. Yeah, at that point, maybe the whole thing's just sliding, washing out. Behind the back's you. just sliding. Well, um, where to go from here, my friend? How about El Nino? Got a report. El Nino is neutral for fall and winter here in the uh, Pacific side of the world neutral el nino for fall and winter so basically scientists are saying they do not foresee an el nino in the foreseeable future things are just neutral and that also means that they do not foresee la nina as well so kind of just um middle of the road nothing uh too crazy regarding la nina or el nino neutral for fall and winter and we shall see they release reports every three months so things could change very cool um did you watch the u.s open no. I mean, I saw the Yago aerial. That was really cool. I mean, it looked exciting, actually. It, yeah. And, and I watched a couple of waves of Justin Cantal's thing. And uh, um, I just saw teeny little bits and pieces, which is all I needed to see. It wasn't bad. It was good. It was a good experience. The little pieces that I saw were, it kept me informed. I really only needed to know who won it. Yeah. You know, like, I don't need to just know. Just because the waves are not exciting? Yeah, and I just think I have just such a negative experience, not from the recent U.S. Opens, but just from, just, I don't know, the U.S. Open, it's just so, I don't, I personally don't like the the mix of BMX and skate and motocross and body tattooing, or I guess that's the only thing you would tattoo, right, is your body, and other, and I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm just like, okay, yeah. some good surfing would be cool, but I, you know, there's plenty of it everywhere. I don't really need to be force fed. Yeah. US it was open surfing. What was interesting to me, a couple of things. Um, so few on, on the men's side, not so much the women's side, but on the men's side, there were so few top level CT surfers there. You know, in the past it's Kelly Slater's there. Mick Fanning's there. Felipe Toledo, Gabriel Medina, like everybody. Felipe wasn't there. None like, yeah, well, they the don't local guys, Kaloe, Griffin, Kanoa were there, but that was kind of it. That makes sense because they're North American yeah. sponsors like Rip Curls and Hurleys and stuff and Red Bulls were going, hey, this is your hometown. You need to show up and do this thing. It's you know, a chance for them to sleep in their own bed. Yeah. You know? I'm sure they're required on some contractual level to be in, there. Well, in the they past, in the past, I think that's why Slater was there. Well, that was guys. a contractual thing with the ASP, but I'm talking right, about right. their Hurleys, the, their big name sponsors are. Yeah, you know, the individual surfers are probably contractually obliged through their sponsor deals. That's I know. Saying. So I wonder if, like, I I didn't notice any lack of enthusiasm from the crowd or from the size of the crowds. It's not as if, like, I, I don't know that Kelly. That's my point. The size of the crowd is never going to go away. Like, there right. could be no exactly. surfing in the crowd, and so that's that's why I'm kind of have a little vomit in my mouth about well, the when, so-called U.S. Open because it's just. It's not a surf event. Well, when I was in Australia for that Manly event, the Visla, um, yeah. whatever it's called, uh, used to be the US o or the Australian Open, but it, it Slater came, 
And because surfing is a national sport there, essentially, it's like cameras are chasing him from his hotel room to his car. And there's all of this melee. And I I do imagine in that scenario, crowds increase, tourism increase, the restaurants are more successful, you know, all of it because of this person being there. In Huntington Beach, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe Kanoa is that person at this point because he's local. I mean, but I don't know. I mean, honestly, are, guy, are people in San Diego going? I can't wait to go watch Kanoa surf Huntington. No, in person. No, no, they're not. Not really. No. So no, that, that doesn't mean that we're not interested in watching him online. You know, like right. I'm a big Kanoa fan, but Kanoa's Japanese. Yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, if he's going to wave the flag, we're just going to call it what it is. He's, right. He's the Japanese guy, which is great. Yeah great for japan yeah totally so that that element to me seemed a little bit different this year um not that the surfing was any less exciting because so many of those guys it surf equally as well as kelly slater in you know one foot waves two foot waves uh the other detail though was that when the waves are that limited the drama almost increases like it becomes about sparring you know just really like fighting for the best wave. There's going to be priority interferences. There's going to be um, grinding just like every wave to the inside and then freaking out about it with a claim. And that element of drama I thought was a little bit exciting. Um, There was one exchange in particular. I don't know if you were aware of this one or not, if you didn't watch it, but Tomas Hermes versus Adriana de Souza. The very first wave they cross up on Adriana wants to go left. Tomas wants to go right. And they both stand up at the same time. The judges deemed it to be a left. And so they gave the wave to Adriano. Uh, Tomas got an interference call. Well, even with the interference call, his second wave is ha- scored at half. Tomas leads the rest of the heat. And Adriano's back is against the wall. And again, you're waiting for waves, basically. You want, you're hoping he gets an opportunity. But it's exciting that the underdog is winning this heat. And to be honest, Tomas is surfing better than Adriano, so he really should win the heat. And then Adriano, a wave finally comes. I think it was seven seconds or 15 seconds. And he shreds the thing and gets the seven point whatever that he needs at the end in the shore break and claims it. And it's the pinnacle of excitement and thrill you know so elements like that i thought were really fun the one element about that wave that i would love to kind of get your opinion on is um i deemed the i deemed the wave to be a right the judges deemed it to be a left when you see the pulled back view from the top where the pier angle is looking down at it i've surfed that wave a thousand times you know and like that against the grain right that's wedging it's a shorter wave but tomas is a dynamic surfer who's going to do blow the fins out and do something sick on it. The left is longer and softer and the judges deemed the longer, softer wave to be the priority wave over the wedgie across the grain. Right. And I thought that was interesting because it's kind of like as surfing evolves, you know, Margaret river would be a good example of a wave that we now view as a right. That used to be a left. It calls into question priority as a whole. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I see where you're coming from. Obviously, it's a south swell, and their lefts are going to be longer. So they're saying, look, the scoring potential is greater on the left because there's more opportunity. I know you're saying, look, a one-hit radical aerial on that one dynamic right-hand section would would say otherwise, yeah. suggest otherwise. But I didn't see the wave, but I can see how 
just on its face, Southwell, Huntington yeah. means lefts. Yeah, there's some crazy wedgie right once in a while. It's almost like we need to update the criteria a little bit. I was actually, I understood why Adriano held his ground and wanted to go left. And I understood why Tomas held his ground and wanted to go right. And I felt like they neither should have gotten an interference or they both should have gotten an interference. If if Adriano wasn't there, it was would Tomas have gone left? No, no, he definitely wouldn't have. I mean, that right, I'm looking at it. I'm salivating over that right, yeah. you know? Right. I would have gone on left if it came to me, but no, I want that right. It does seem like at that event every year, well, for the last couple of years, there's been just some crazy aerial, right? Oh, so yeah. Seth, Seth Moniz, Moniz yeah. Bashir Yago. Two, three years ago, was that when the Japanese kid won? Hiroto O'Hara. Yeah. That was just kind of fun. That was like a fun story, you know? Yeah. But, um, well, yeah. congrats, Yago Dora, Sage Erickson. Sage Erickson took down local homegirl, Courtney Conlog. So that was cool. That was Sage. actually the big story, right? Yeah. Because the Sage's grandmother died and she kind of, that was kind of sweet. Sage also has been bumped off tour a number of times, two times, two times, I think, and comes back twice as good of a surfer every time. Like she hits the gym or trains or whatever she needs to do. And this was another indicator of that. It's like she shredded, like she's on a whole different level than she was before. So it's good to see that she resets. She's our Nat Young. Is she? Yeah. They're going to come back relaxed, stronger, with a much greater vision of what the whole thing's all about. Surprised Nat's camp hasn't reached out to you since he's been <laughs> waving his flag. <laughs> I'm a big fan, man. Hey, speaking of big fans, I cried tears of joy for humanity, David, this morning. Para mi nuevo campeón, Freddy. Mariman. No clue. What Transformed episode two, Freddy, the WSL's new oh, yeah, uh, series. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really cool episode. Um, it, I would urge everybody to check it out if you haven't already. Have you been checking out the Transformed? They've done two. They did Cuba. I have the window open on my computer now. I've been meaning to push play for like three days. And I have not seen one yet. Both of them are pretty cool. The Freddy one again was really touching. So is Sean Thompson hosting? Yeah. Is that the idea? Yeah. Okay. He's He's good with his voice and his authority and everything he brings is good, but they're incorporating what we've talked about in the past though, which right. is like fold in history and bring these icons in to yeah. help tell richer stories. Yeah. So they're doing both things. They're telling these rich stories of people that you and I have never been exposed to before, but using an iconic figure of our sport. And, and Sean's the perfect guy for that yeah, because yeah. of the inspirational books and lectures that he gives. I mean, he's the inspo guy, yeah. you know, so, and that's what transformed really seems to be all about. It seems to be about telling stories that are uplifting and heartwarming and also relevant, not just, you know, for the sake of we need that, you yeah. know, like, so this story, I want you to see, I'm sure you will, Freddie Merriman, this kid that was born with some congenital problems and doesn't have legs and has just basically one arm and sort of a short little smaller arm on the other side. And he's from Columbia and he, you know, I'll let you check out the, the show and, and I don't want to, you know, tell this whole story here, but it's totally worth checking out. And that's cool thing is there, the Cuba one was 15 minutes. This one's 24 minutes. And, um, and I'm like, super, I like this Freddy guy is going to be down in La Jolla in December for the Adaptive World Games. And I want to go down there and just say hi to him. You know, really? like I was really stuck. The, the, for me personally, the best part of it was the spiritual aspect of it. You know, the sort of the God part of it. 
which, you know, I'm a believer. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So was he a surfer? Yeah. Okay. A world oh, I didn't know if like they then sent Tom- Sean Thompson down to like teach no, no, him how to Sean surf. No, no. Sean just introduces the segments. Gotcha. He has nothing to do with the stories. These are those stories where, did you get, br- so the WSL brought us all in. I think you I were was, out of town. Yeah. And they brought us all in. They're like, hey, we're doing all these new things. And one of the things we're doing is we want to partner with guys that have great stories to tell. No need for us to do it. If you got a good story, we'll give you the platform. And so these two stories are basically short films. And you're very familiar with this with your work with Florida Surf Film Festival. These are great opportunities for filmmaker filmmakers to get the WSL to put their film on this platform right. and on this stage. And so both of these are made outside of the WSL's gotcha. you know, studio, but they're produced by sort of semi-produced by now and Sean introduces them from Santa Monica. Gotcha. Well, another, uh, pat on the back for Elo. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Elo's bringing it. I think Elo would be pretty good at introducing some of the stuff. I know he wants to be behind the scenes, but I I've seen Elo do, you know, he's, he's, uh, polished. Mm -hmm. He can, he would pull it off, but I think it is probably smart to let him just sit in the, director's chair or yeah, move, I mean, move you can the, only he's the puppeteer you, you can know? only do so much dude so right. only so many hours in the day right yeah um we have chopu on the calendar coming up oh my are you ready for my huge chopu thing can i do you have time i do have time i want to get predictions i want to get your underdog pick i want to get your overall pick okay let me start here yeah give me ready for this i am ready okay this was 20 years ago a very big moment in surf history at sunrise on August 17th, Laird Hamilton was in the Chopu Channel, staring into waves that looked to be half again larger than anything yet ridden, although it was hard to tell from his angle. The sun was out, the air was still, the water was mirror smooth. Hamilton and his jet ski driver motored out to the lineup. Veteran filmmaker Jack McCoy sat on the back of a two-seat ski with a camera resting on his lap and watched a wave, quote, Unload on the reef unlike anything I'd ever seen. A low-tide monster that drained out as if somebody had pulled a bathtub plug, unquote. Hamilton opened with a few warm-up rides, nothing fancy. He fell on a mid-sized, mid-sized wave and was lightly rolled across the reef. Just before noon, he tracked too high on a triple overhead wall and was nearly pitched over the falls. He leaned back to be fully extended his front leg, bracing the top of his foot against the strap until his toes and instep were completely lifted off the board. And he was able to correct his line. Both his ankles began to swell from the strain. The monster Hamilton caught less than five minutes later was one-third bigger than anything he'd ridden all morning. Incredibly, he launched from 50 yards farther up the reef And to make the distance, he began angling hard for the channel from the moment he dropped the rope. The wave dilated as it squared, and Hamilton was shadowed as this thing wound itself into a huge blue, satin-finished death spiral of a tube. He rode just a few feet above the trough. Above his head was another 12 feet of open face. Above that was a 10-foot-thick domed ceiling of water. Hamilton's line this time was perfect. He shot himself like a cannonball through the hollows, vanished as the tube expelled a small weather system of pressurized water, then reappeared and flew across the wave's backslope, 
Dazed and breathing heavily, as he joined McCoy and the others in the channel, he dropped his head and began to cry. Surfer Magazine called it the Millennium Wave. Again, 20 years ago, David. This happened in the year 2000. And to emphasize that this was the single most dramatic moment in the sport's history to that point. And and it put another mile or two of distance between Hamilton and every other big wave rider. More toe surfers would soon come to Chopu and, ra- and ride waves just as big and thick, but Hamilton got there first, as usual. Quote, There's so much emotion in that moment, he said a few days later, looking at video of the ride and as, he, and as his teary response in the channel afterward, he said, A lifetime of desires, a lifetime of dreams, of work, of hope, all this stuff got to me in this one moment. And I blinked, and it was over, end quote. The Millennium Wave also helped turn slab riding into a kind of surfing freak show, the old-fashioned Himalayan challenge to ride the world's tallest waves. That still remained a bizarre open-ocean surf spot named Cortez Bank and a beach break monstrously called Nazare in Portugal would in years come to produce waves in the 100-foot range, but slabs warped the sport into something entirely different, and Chopu was just the introduction. Who wrote that? Thank you. That's Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing, a new uh, segment that we do now every episode of Spit, where we introduce people to this great resource, Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing. You and I pay $3 a month. That's three bucks I ever spent. And we get incredible amounts of insight. EOS.surf. Please subscribe to Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surf. That one's um, almost precisely relevant in that that wave took place on August 17th. Today's yes. August 9th, so almost to the day, 19 years. Incredible that it's Crazy. basically two decades ago. Crazy. So my complaint or my um, criticism of this, it was a pocket ride. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I say that once about, uh, who was it? Carla, or uh, no, the, the Peruvian. Goofy, yeah, the goofy footed. Peruvian. Ramon. Ramon, Ramon Navarro. Navarro. Love that guy. No, that was, but this is a legit pocket ride, dude. No, maybe. Uh, yeah, the I thing just is, watched is that, it while you were talking. Well, he gets, I don't know if it's a pocket ride, but I mean, you could certainly argue that. But as you know, regardless of where he was in the depths of that tube, for the time, at the time, relative to the time, if we put it in context of the time, this thing blew everything out of the water. I yeah. mean, I was the online editor, editorial director at Surfer Magazine at the time. I got my hands on this clip and put it on the, the website and immediately this thing, I remember being at the trade show in San Diego, ASR, in September, about a month after this thing happened. And this was like the talk of the trade show. And because our website had it and no other websites did, I mean, we blew it up and people- Did like, you the buy, traffic, it, buy it from Jack McCoy? No, I think we bought it from Tim McKenna. Uh, I think Tim McKenna had it. So it was exclusive. Or Tim gave it to us, or we, we probably paid for it. But you had it exclusively. Well, mostly, except for I think it was also on Tim McKenna's website. Okay. But for the most part, I mean, semi-exclusive. I remember saying we had it exclusively, and then the people at Transworld called me out for saying it's not exclusive because it was somewhere else, <laughs> and they were correct in Did doing so. Did you know so. what exclusive meant? <laughs> I still don't know what exclusive means, to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, it blew up our website, and it made me look pretty good. I know. Imagine if he was actually barreled. <laughs> it didn't matter, dude. This was... As you know, this at that time was just mind-boggling. Like, I mean, the wave is as thick as it is tall. 
So if it's 10 feet between the trough of the wave and the lip, the lip is 10 feet thick above his head. Right. So it's like 20 feet from the trough to the top of the lip, essentially. Um, it's gnarly. He disappears like you would if you were barreled, but it's because of the spit. Like he's, well, that's he's one of the great things Matt says, some of the words he uses that yeah. I just read, the fact that there was a veritable weather system that Perfect. encased him, yeah. and the satiny finish to the wave. It was just yeah. so glassy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a spectacular visual of somebody getting a pocket red. It truly is a moment in surf history. Like if you were going to have a timeline with little bullet points on it, yeah, the year 2000 would be marked by this because of what Matt suggested, that this kind of was the tipping point for a whole new level of surfing, slab, hunting slabs and the idea of Cortez Bank and all of this stuff unfolded. Pinnacle of not getting barreled for sure. Oh um, my God. How about Cortez way, Bank? Like, are we ever going to, like, is Cortez Bank just never going to be surfed again? So I think it's off the ignore radar. Ignore it. Ignore it. Here's the thing things go in trends. And yes. I bet you there's still hardcore dudes surfing that spot all the time who are thrilled that it hasn't been mentioned. Oh, by the way, speaking of breaking news, can I kind of go? We, we were speaking of breaking news. I just was because Cortez Bank was not breaking news. Okay, exclusively. Anyway, remind news. me to. I don't want to interrupt your thought process, but something just came to me. And I don't Since want to when do you, you know not want to interrupt my thought process? All the time, but it doesn't mean I don't. Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Breaking news. Hit it. I'm hearing from very reliable sources. The G-Land is coming back. Oh, you heard this. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, you mean when Stu Nettle wrote about it on Swellnet? Oh, is I didn't that know. you heard about no, it? No, no, no. Oh, I heard okay. about it from my friend that goes to G-Land because I was thinking of going to G-Land. This Dude, was like, kind of when did life? Stu write about this? I want to live then? your life. How do I do that? So- when did Stu write about this? Like a couple days ago? Because I heard about this about 10 days ago um, from my friend who goes to G-Land. July 30th. So yeah, 10 days ago, exactly. So I had heard about it and I've, I'm like, oh man. So I sent something to Dave Prodan, our friend, at the vice president of communications at the WSL. And Dave's like, um, let me figure out how to respond to this. You Which know, means yes. Yeah, exactly. And then he sent me just this boilerplate thing like, at this time, we can neither confirm nor deny anything that's on the schedule for 2020. We look forward to telling you all about it when that comes out yeah. soon. And then it was like, wink, wink. I'm like, Dave, that basically means yes. And he's like, you can interpret it any way you want. Yeah. You know, like he was just going company line. <clears throat> but so, okay, I guess it's not breaking news. So I didn't what, know that, that it was out there, but. What anyway, was the info that you had? Basically that, that. The WSL is going to have an event at G-Land in May. So Stu's um, uh, information came from, I'll just read it to you actually. He yeah. says, um, the WSL has been making plans to book out the surf camps of Alas Puro National Park and uh, Perwo, Perwo, I don't know, and return to the original Dream Tour venue. Swellnet can now report that the WSL has locked in a two-week waiting period from June 3rd to June 16th next year. Those dates partially overlap with a rejiggered uh, Margaret River Pro. So the Margs comp will again have to be shuffled. If the as-yet titled contest replaces Karamas, as we assume that it does. Karamas is operating year by year without a contract anyways. So then the Margaret River Pro will simply move forward a few weeks, and then the three contests of the Aussie leg will again be held consecutively, and then Garajagon Gilan will become the fourth contest of the year. So Margaret goes back to shark feeding season, the salmon run, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> And Karamas is gone, and G-Land, I'm so bummed. I'm so bummed. Only 
for selfish reasons that I was going to go. Now, because G-Land was kind of, I mean, it's always, it was kind of off the radar. I mean, you can never really say G-Land's off the radar. That's like saying cloud breaks off the radar, but no. But you guys was off the radar, radar yeah. for a long time. It yeah. was, you know, now it's going to be front and center. Everybody's going to go. But there. how psyched are you to see the comp? I mean, like, I'm, well, I would be, but I'm not because I want to go surf there. It's on I my bucket that. list. I get. I it. might still go, just before the event. Yeah. End of May. Yeah. I mean, but it's going to be packed. It's going to uh, be a scene. Well, at any rate, yeah. A contest there is the right answer. Like for the world tour, we want that contest. That is epic, epic, yeah. challenging. Oh, you're right. Super. I mean, I've never surfed it, but you talk to guys who are no, no, it's world class surfers who go. It's completely legit. That put me on every every ounce of like skill and talent I have. That challenged it. You know, so I would love to see it. Well, um, you're gonna and Quicksilver might if, not breaking news. Hashtag well, not breaking. News. Well, the other thing I think Stab then commented on it um, and said something to the effect of like Quicksilver is potentially pulling out of the Snapper event and then putting their sponsorship on the Quick event or the uh, G Land event. Oh, that's interesting. So they're just moving, you know, moving dollars, moving dollars from one place to the other. But um, I would love to see that come together. Apparently the dates are locked down. So there you go. Back to Chopu real quick though. Yes. Okay, um, good. Hobgood yes. versus Hobgood. Have yeah. you seen this? Um, it's, it's not the, the movie you were talking about. They're, no. they're going to have a, they're going to have a legends heat, right? So okay. when, when I interviewed the director of the film, he was like, dude, we're going to start this social media campaign to get those guys in as like, yeah, what is it? A legends event? What do they call it? Heritage series. Yes. Heritage series yeah. event where, uh, Damien and Siege have never actually surfed together at Chopu against cool, one another. Cool. So can we do a Heritage Series Heat with these guys? And just, you and I should have a bet because I can I. You're going demo. I am. I'll take Siege. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Done. What's, what's the bet? What's the bet? You call it haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> Completely bald. <laughs> no, that's too much. Neither of us wants that. Um, uh, money. We could. I mean, money. Is, fine. is there something that we, we can, can do, do something better that's more creative that we can do online? We can yeah. post something on Instagram. Yeah, there is something. Well, how about if I win, you take over the spit Instagram for a day? Does that, is there even one that exists? That requires you to acknowledge it. I don't think there is such a thing. Yeah, spit. Uh, this oh, show, this show the that- one with blurry photos that have nothing to do with what we talk about on air. The spit, that one? The spit Instagram is a perfect representation of this show here's stuff just flies around it just like happens like 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 interruptions occur you know we talk about hairdos out of focus it's out of focus here's here's my favorite one that not that i had ever seen this but i think maybe a listener might have sent it to me or something uh (laughs) we have a professional photographer come and shoot photos i send you the photos you take a photograph with your phone of your computer screen of the photo (laughs) and then post that. So I could see all the pixelation of your computer screen and like some light blur, like flare coming off your computer. I'm like, this guy sent us these like 12 megabyte files of an image that are crystal clear. And he went through the hard work of shooting and sending. And then you take a photograph of your computer screen. First of all, I apologize to that. Sam, 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 he's a good guy and he's a great photographer. 12 megabytes are way too big for the internet. That's for like, you know, <laughs> eight by 10 prints, but which you, nobody does. But you did download it and pull it up on your computer screen. Right. It took forever. 
So I figured we need a smaller one. <laughs> and I just went, ching, ching. No, you know what? I stand accused. You're right. I shouldn't have done that. Sam deserves better than that. Uh, and the show does. Yeah, so that's what. But it's funny. It's fun to talk about it, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It is. I mean, it is. that's why I'm kind of, lean into it. By the way, I'm going to call you out on it, but lean into it. It's but, fine. But it is Let's also about true it. that that it sort of represents the way the show flows. Like it's not necessarily, um, you know, super crisp package of content. It's right. just you and I kind of rolling and spitballing, and you know, sometimes there's some blurry stuff that comes out of this. Mm. Yep. Uh, I don't disagree with that. So the Hobgoods, though. Yes. I mean, the Heritage Series oh, Hobgood so what's Heat. what's the bet? Well, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Or we'll get people to let us know. Okay. I'm going to have a hard time deciding right now yeah. and figuring out if it's equitable or not. But we got to uh, do it soon because yeah, yeah. when's the next show? The, the event starts pretty quick. Like We have to kind of come up with something. Okay. We Let's will. take a break. All right. Back in action. You don't like the headphones? Do we need them? We don't need them, but they're okay. Yeah. Um, so did you come up with something? So no, I didn't come up with anything, but, um, what are your predictions for the event? I want a prediction. I want an, who's your underdog pick and then who's your overall pick to win the event. Okay. When you think of Chopu, you think of big barrels and, or small barrels if it's small, but you think of barrels, obviously, duh. So, Here's, let me read off the top 10 real quick. Chloe Andino, Felipe Toledo, John John Florence, but he's out. Idolo, Kanoa, Jordy, Gabriel, Kelly, Ryan Callanan, Julian Wilson. Okay, so my underdog, I don't think underdogs can come from those 10. My, under, my underdog is Seth Muniz. Oh. Yeah. He could absolutely yeah. do well in the event. Exactly. Yeah. He's going to be, be away from all the stuff. The only thing that concerns me about rookies is that this is the time of the year where they're just like been living out of a suitcase. They're kind of overwhelmed. The first part of the year, they're so excited. This part of the year, they're like, wow, this is kind of a grind. Like I haven't lived out of a suitcase in my entire life. I've always had peanut butter and jellies from mom. And so the rookies, this back half of the tour, I kind of go, oh God, I don't know. You know, especially when they go to Europe, it's like, whoa, yeah. different language. But I think Seth Moniz, this is kind of his, you know, his wheelhouse. It's big blue Pacific. And his mom is with him still. She's probably making him that PB and J. Good, keep making them. Yeah. So Seth Moniz is my underdog. I like it. I'm yeah. going Joan Daru. That's a great one too. I like that one. Joan, um, let's see where is he sitting in the rankings? Way down, 24th. But his specialty is big barrels. Comes from Hosiger. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's a specialty. What's his specialty? Do you even know who he is? I do. He's. I think his backside surfing is kind of backside. Special is insane. Yeah. Like big backside smashes. And the other thing that's his specialty is he's just a competitive force. Like he's not going to get rattled. Like he's going to have a plan. He's been doing it. He's like, what is he like 30 or something? At least. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he was on the QS for 10 years. (laughs) So, I mean, look, you know, he's, he's a blue collar guy. I'm going Joe on. That's a good one. So let's see who ranks better. Joe on or Seth. Okay. All right. Is that a bet or we're just, no, no, no. Okay. By the way, I'm, this year, Fantasy Surfer, I'm absolutely killing it. I'm win- winning my league in two leagues. I won Jay Bay. I've been making dollar hand over fist. Wow. So that's what's funding your uh, G-Land trip and all of your surfboard purchasing? Well, it's G- cleaning up on the fantasy circuit. G-Land going to be a work trip. I'm going to be in Japan anyway for the boardroom show. I'm just going to fly to G-Land from Japan. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And try, totally try out some boards and totally talk about them on the show. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean that's what I do. That's what you and I do. Ah, 
Strangely, it's not what I do. Unfortunately, well, it's what you, it's part of what you do. Um, so you're doing so well in fantasy cause I'm not playing this year. That's the real backstory there. Okay. I took a year off, took two years off and suddenly you're having a banner performance. These things are not kind just look at the it. stats. Exactly. Kind of killing it. Uh, all right. Who's your overall pick? Who's going to win the event? Gabe Medina. Yep. Mine too. Gabe Medina is going to win the event. For sure. It's because he does this every year. Like he lulls us into thinking it's over. And then he kind of like snaps out of his hangover from yeah, the his, off season. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. And and the thing about Chop- Chopu is you're away from a lot of, of trappings. Yeah. You know, you're on this Island at the end of the road and you're in somebody's home and you're, you know, eating fish with coconut sauce and you know, it's, you're just it's focused. It, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And you're focused, right? You're you're focused. Everyone's focused. And it's, and if you're one of, if not the best surfer in the world, it's a great place to be focused. So the surf spot itself, it's such a, there's so few variables in it. If you're in the open ocean at a beach break, wherever yeah. there's, you could be at the wrong bank. You could, you know, Chopu, you're sitting on the reef. You can be deeper than the other guy. So it really just comes down to your skill set for being able to knife into a barreling section and how brave you are to go on those waves. And Gabriel has proven time and time again that he has both those skill sets and he doesn't fall. I mean, remember that year where I think Kelly and John John ended up in the final maybe, but it was just like, or no, and then maybe he even won. I don't actually remember, but it was like three or four years ago, 10 foot, Gabe didn't fall on a single wave throughout the event. I think actually it was a John John Kelly semi and then right. a John John Gabe final. Exactly. And it was nines and tens exactly. throughout the whole semis and final series. Yeah. But it came down to like Kelly gets an eight. John John gets an eight five. Kelly gets an eight nine. John John gets a nine one. Kelly gets a nine five. And then in the end, it's like nine nine versus nine eight. It was just insane. And then the next semifinal was Gabe versus somebody else. And Owen, the same exact Owen? thing. Yeah, it might have been Owen. Owen. And then the final, it was the more of the same. And he never fell once. He would fall out of the sky into the pit. And it was so hard to even judge at that point because it's just like, oh, I guess he was half a foot deeper down the reef that time. And the waves are so flawless, you know? Um, so I think Gabe's proven if the waves are big and perfect, he's the guy to beat. I agree. And John John's out. John John's out. John John has an element of magic that he can always sprinkle in, but he's out. Correct. So you want to hear my prediction for the event? Yeah. Didn't you just say Gabe? Well, that's my overall pick. Okay. What's your prediction? What's the difference, by the way? My prediction is that the waves are going to be pumping. Yes. This This top 10 that I just read to you. Yes. Completely shuffled. Like if the waves are pumping, how's Kaloe going to do in first? He's going to get dropped down the rankings. Felipe absolutely gets dropped down the rankings. John John's in third place right now, but he's not competing. Boom. He's done. Kanoa done. He's out. No, Kanoa goes up dude at Chopu pumping Chopu. Yes. I'm always, I've always been late to the Kanoa bandwagon. And you've been right every time. He made the the finals in smaller backdoor. Okay. I'm telling you, Kanoa is going to, you've been right in the past. Kanoa is completely maturing. You've been right in the past. Jordy drops drops. Idolo, Gabe and Kelly are the last remaining from that up. 
Yes. So this thing is going to get so shuffled. All these top six guys I love it. are just getting bumped I hope it's huge. down. I hope Me it's too. Big. And it is. That's my prediction. It's going well, to be I think huge. the forecast then, suggests it's going to be big. It's like a week away, right? Two weeks away. Oh, that's too far. To so, but the Gate, South Pacific's been flowing yeah, with energy. Yeah. Kyle Avelli's there right now. He's been posting Instagrams and it's pumping. Oh, I like Kyle as an underdog. The guy loves getting barreled. I haven't really seen him in a lot of laughs, but he, he's a barrel hound. I just like that he's there. Yeah, yeah. That says a lot. Me too. And uh, so Gabe, Kelly, and Idolo are the guys in that top 10 who will thrive in those conditions. And then just outside of the top 10, you have Owen Wright, Connor, who I actually think will do well there, and Michel Berez, who it's his home venue, but he generally doesn't surf well there. But he could for once. He's in 11th. So, or 11th or 12th. So I think those guys could make a jump into the top 10. I think that top five, I mean, they have enough points at this part of the season that I don't know that they drop out of the top 10, you know, but they definitely get shuffled down two or three spots. And especially if guys like Gabe and Kelly end up in the semis and the finals, they could skyrocket. This will be so good for the WSL if this happens, by the way. This This is is going to be a huge, huge shuffling. Big shakeup. Big shakeup. Scale shakeup. Scales. I love it. Um, so our CJ Damien bet, we don't know what it is. Because are we going to be able to do this before? We could we, host a poll on Instagram. On what we on what the bet should be? Yeah, and yeah. people can just decide for us. I kind of like you taking over the Spit Instagram account for a day because you hate oh, it so I've much. Oh, I've got a plan now. Yes, I, I agree. I okay. should take this Uh-oh. over. I should, oh, this no, should be what I terrorize. win. <laughs> you're gonna terrorize. Okay, maybe. I want to. Okay, you're you're going to wear boardroom show stuff. <laughs> I have to wear all your boardroom show gear. Yes. And be a walking billboard. Yes. Just like a hat and a shirt. Okay, and then you have week. to. And then you have to wear a stereotypical Huntington Beach getup, chain oh wallet. God. Oh my god! For a whole week? No, 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 not a whole Just week. Just a, a day. day. A day. A day. Are you going to provide these things? Because yeah. I don't own them. I'm sure will, you have the stuff in spades. I'll go to my closet. I'll clear it out. What exactly it. do I have to wear? Like a wife beater? The things you make fun of every time you bring up Huntington Beach. Do I have to have a dog on a leash, like a pit bull? Like that's ideally, but I don't know. We don't want to get PETA involved in this. People. Do I, <laughs> uh, do so I need a mullet? Are you going to provide me with a mullet? We'll get you a wig. We'll get oh you a wife God. beater with, with a meatball stain on it. Oh and uh, baggy shorts oh with a chain God. wallet. And then like old DC shoes. Right. Like bulky DC shoes. They're, like un, they're not tied. They're kind of loose. Un, loose. And then um, tube, white tube socks that are pulled up way too high. Right. We'll have somebody put some... <laughs> Per, uh, temporary tattoos on you like a neck tat yeah it seems like i'm gonna get the worst end of this but. tribal tribal tat around your arm is the way to go oh my god all right done razors or barbed wire go barbed holy shit. no you that's know, way he, too much for me you're not all you get is a hat and a t-shirt i know i'm not doing any tattoos but i told you the prophylactic dude what does no, that even mean <laughs> it means no chicks coming anywhere near me if i'm wearing that bright oh, white hat oh i see <laughs> I gotcha. Um, all right. I've got a Duke, a kook, and a must-see moment. Well, hold your horses. Because the must-see moment that everyone needs to see is a video no one can see. Mm. American Airlines, a fellow surfer, a listener of our show, Bash Mendez, sent me this information. Uh, he recently, Bash Mendez, recently worked with American Airlines and American Airlines employees on an internal video on the procedures and, and policy specifically on how to handle surfboard luggage. This video has been uploaded to 
an employee intranet and all employees that handle that baggage must view this video for American Airlines. And I've seen part of it. Have you seen it? Yeah, he sent it to me. According to Bash, LAX employees are doing a great job now, at least the American <laughs> Airlines employees, of handling boards. And um, Bash is going to be working with American Airlines employees as they move toward the Olympic Games. This all took place. Bash and his father somehow or another started this campaign last year after Eric Geiselman's boards got destroyed by American Airlines. And of course, American Airlines, one of their hubs, Dallas, Texas, which is seeing a lot more boards because they're so close to BSR and the Barefoot Surf Ranch. So that's some interesting must see moment that only the employees of American Airlines are going to see. But it's good news. And it's did you news. see that? Did he tag you on his Instagram yeah. story? Yeah. yeah. So it's good news. Yeah. Um, and didn't Delta just eliminate board fees too? Somebody. I mean, that, that's not to do with baggage handling alaska I th no alaska has been good about it for a while i think yeah. delta just right. nixed the fee altogether for like oversized sporting goods yeah surfboards fall into that category anyway i thought that needed to get yeah it's good shout into out the show. shout out to uh bash mendes. bash mendes um so no contest the series that stab and red bull does continues to be my favorite thing uh favorite kind of surf video recurring series on the internet so shout out to both of those but it is not my must-see moment um, my must see moment is Mason Ho's green monkey. Did you watch it? I've seen some clips of it. Yeah. It's incredible. The guy's incredible. He is the most naturally comfortable surfer on the planet. He stands up. He looks like he was born on a surfboard on a reef somewhere. And that's what he should be doing on land. I'm like, he looks awkward. He doesn't like, why doesn't he have a surfboard with him? He just looks at home in the water and he gets up and he contorts into weird positions. And then he comes out and he looks down at his feet, drives off the bottom, looks up at the lip, whips his head, like, but then he does huge airs. He does rad carves. He does the raddest, uh, like, uh, lean back barrel things, front side and backside. He's just completely a natural and I love it. And more than anybody else, I will stop and watch him surf. If a Dane Reynolds video pops up, I'll be like, Oh, I should come back and watch this when I have time. Kelly Slater, same thing. Idolo, same thing. Felipe, maybe Mason. I stop what I'm doing and I watch it. And more importantly is I want to go surfing after I watch it. He psychs me out to surf. He does. He, he, you got that right. He's incredible. And I don't think I can add anything to what you said. I mean, you've pretty much nailed it. He's, he's just, He's what I want on a surfboard. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So Mason Ho, green monkey is the vid. Um, must see moment. And then my, I've got a kook and a duke. Do you? I don't have a kook or a duke. I don't know that you're going to agree with mine. I want to hear you um, argue with me actually. Okay. Done. <laughs> Consider it done. No, I don't want to argue with you. <laughs> um, Wrong. My kook is a particular commenter. Um, who said the most vile thing about Chris Cote. So Chris Cote posted this in his Instagram stories. Did you see it? I did. I, sent, I sent Chris a, a, a comment on Twitter basically saying that sucks. Yeah. I'm, I'm bummed for Chris. I shouldn't have to put up with that kind of thing. And I don't even want to say what the comment was because shouldn't. it's so ugly. Yeah. So the internet as a whole, but these comment message boards are, um, I don't know, They're a place filled with ignorant douchebags it's the best and the worst to be honest with you so it's the bastion of free speech i guess like the tip of the spear like you can kind of say whatever you want to say and what ends up happening is 
it's hilarious. Like sometimes it is hilarious and sometimes it's outrightly offensive. And so the conversation that I really want to have with, have with you is what's the line, where's the boundary line? You know, it's kind of like when the courts were trying to figure out how to define pornography, I'll know it when I see it was the definition. It's kind of the same thing with the message board, except we all have a slightly different sliding scale of what's offensive to you might not be offensive to me. And the bottom line is if you have to ask yourself if it's offensive, you, it is. Like if you're writing it, you mean? Yeah. Like if you're typing it or something? Don't be an asshole. Like just don't be vile. You know, I think it's okay to be funny. And I think you and I make fun of each other all the time. I don't know about time. funny. I, I don't think funny's the right. But, well, that one wasn't even funny. So right, that's, but a, I mean, that's a thing. But is that's there was the thing no, is that he's thinking maybe that he's being the funny. The writer thought it might be Maybe. Funny. Yeah, he might have. And that's the problem is, is like, it, nobody can sort of self- regulate their what they think is humor yeah or people are actually disturbed and so their sense of humor is just not funny yeah well that one there wasn't even funny but i think um i don't want to uh i think free whatever free speech is important so you don't want to really like just like um eliminate the the value of that comment section is kind of being able to say what you want to say. So you don't want to like eliminate the comment. What you need is moderator, which I think beach grid as a moderator, I'm sure stab does at this point too. And the moderator needs to kind of nix things like that. But I don't know. I think I used to be a moderator on know? the surfer mag one. Yeah, really? It's a nightmare. It's is a it? Complete nightmare. By the way, there's a great, have you listened to recode decode with the guy from Reddit, the CEO from Reddit? Yes. Okay, well, that speaks to this a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess what makes me bummed out is then there's all these school shoot or mass shootings in America recently, the last two weeks, right? There's like three or four of them. And it's sad. It's just like you see all this sadness and anger and evil. And then you go on the surf message board and you see people spewing this evil rhetoric. And Cote's a nice guy with a family. Like he's super cool. Like, quotation and have to receive that i don't even want to read it because it's disturbing to read especially in light of the news that's happening and it's just too much negative rhetoric at a certain point you go god can't people just be nice to one another but then i still want to poke fun at scott bass like me as an individual i still want to like you and i know each other we're friends like i'm like that's different yeah 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 so but then i feel almost like well shoot maybe me just poking fun is also negative rhetoric and maybe I need to zen that's out. Part just of, be- that's part of the whole kook and duke thing. Like I'm not really into just calling people out as being a kook because you know who's the biggest kook is me for even doing that. Yeah, but those these conversations are worth having. It right. tees up an opportunity to have, to shame a-, a I mean, that guy's definitely a kook. The guy exactly, kook for sure. Yeah. Well, that's the other problem is who is that guy? Who knows? Because it's an anon- he's using a pseudonym. He's a Russian. And he's anonymous. It's the Russian bots that are hacking the system, dude. But Chris Cote is a great guy, and a, and uh, he didn't deserve that. Well, and he did and a good job at the U.S. Open, and that's what the comment was about. It was calling him a kook for his job that he did at the U.S. Open, and it's like, no, Chris freaking had eight hours of airtime a day. Like, he was the key so guy, hard, so and hard. he did a great job through it all, yeah. commenting on multiple sports. Yeah. So anyways, uh, behave yourself online, you guys. And yeah. try. you could be funny, but, dude, don't be vile. That's the boundary line is vile. Uh, my Duke. <laughs> There's got to be a better boundary line than don't be vile. How about be kind and tolerant? That should be your code. Kindness and tolerance is your code. Yeah. Go for comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Include comedy. Because uh, I like to laugh. Anyways, my Duke. 
Uh, this is a controversial one. I want to get your take. Dane Hans, Vulcan surfboards. Did you see his missive? I did on Instagram. Oh, I did tepid. That was a tepid. I did. No, I I thought it was. I mean, he's a smart guy. He's an intelligent guy. Yeah. He wrote a really great piece. I liked it. Okay. Yeah, I thought so, it was good. I I think there it was a long piece. I think there was some stuff that if we really combed through it with Dane, pers- you know, one on one, you know, giving him a voice here or somewhere, it would be good. You know, there was some stuff in there that was, it was all interesting and it was all more or less on point. I, I thought so too. I'm in a position as the boardroom, you know, executive director of, of basically a surfing trade show that, um, you know, I, I sort of have to walk above the fray here a little bit. Well, then I'll talk about it. Sure. Um, board Builders Community is an Instagram account and they basically said, we're going to give Dane the floor. Like, and apparently board builders community and Dane had had this conversation prior Mm -hmm. about what their gripes are about the American, like domestic board building industry and Mm -hmm. pressures that they're feeling and whatever. So, um, he's like, I'm going to give Dane the floor for Dane to explain what we've been discussing. So rather than Dane putting it on his own account, he put it in the comments section of this board builders community account. And Dane, it limits, Instagram limits the number of characters that you can write in a caption. And his far exceeded it times 10. So it came across as 10 different comments in the comment section, but you can read through it from top to bottom and it makes sense. But it's it's basically Dane's um, overall thoughts on the state of the domestic industry. And what I liked about it, and the reason why Dane is the Duke, is Dane accepted culpability as a domestic board builder for a lot of the way that the reason why the way that things are. It wasn't just pointing the finger at backyard builders or pointing the finger at um, imported surfboards or outsourcing manufacturing or anything like that. He acknowledges all of that in his commentary, but he also acknowledges where we haven't uh, we as I'm saying we as like domestic manufacturers haven't um, set pricing appropriately to build out the business effectively or done things under the radar or cut bro deals for people. Well, one of the or, things that he mentioned, which was, which is really great was ironically, the people that are setting the pricing for the domestic board builder are the people that are bringing boards in from overseas. Yeah. They're doing the greatest job of pushing the ceiling higher. Exactly. Yeah. And Dane acknowledges know, hey, he this does. is one thing that Absolutely. they've done really well. Absolutely. He does. So I think Dane, what I loved about this was so much of this kind of anti import conversation that we've seen in the past few years that by the way, does get vile and driven into a ditch all the time on Instagram, especially um, so much of that is always just pointing the finger at people. And what I thought Dane did really well was, just kind of take a realistic assessment of what the situation is, accept some responsibility, and then, you know, just say, hey, it's a real, it's a, it's a real plight for us. Like times are tough, you know, and here's what we're dealing with. So yeah. I liked it. I yeah. thought it was really good, really rational. He suggests organizing, you know. Yeah. He suggests everyone getting together, and I think to myself, yeah, it's called the boardroom show. We yeah. do it every couple times a year. One yeah. here and one in Tokyo. Yeah. You know, Dane should buy a booth. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dane, I also love, so I like Dane on a personal level. He's a super aside, smart guy. Aside from He's an that, intense guy. He's very intense. But I like his boards. Well, like he's making killer boards and he's running. I like the way that he runs his business too. Like he actually charges appropriate price. His boards are expensive yeah. basically, but they work really well. They're beautiful. They're kind of bulletproof in terms of construction. They're really, really durable. 
He's and innovative. I mean, as you know, you, you read that thing. And one of the things he calls out the board, the domestic board builders to be and to do is to be innovative and to, and to create, don't be afraid to create. We have to be innovative yeah. to, to keep pushing forward. And so that's where like this conversation, Dane really needs to be here to talk with us about it because it's a great point, but you also have market forces that are dictating a lot of stuff. Completely. Like if 10 out of 20 or if uh, nine or eight out of 10 guys wants a retro fish, guess what I'm making? A retro fish, you right. know, is there innovation? I don't think so, but that's what the markets require. You know, so there's this capitalistic side of it where it's like, hey, look, it's a free market. You know who decides what I build? The market decides. Totally. Yeah. And so you can only have so much innovation there. Now, what's important is that if we get the price point to where it needs to be, then you have some margin and some R&D money exactly. put to the side where you can do that innovation. And Dane certainly has done that. I mean, totally. that thing he does on the rails to make the board stronger, that's in, that's awesome. I mean, it's I don't, patent. It's yeah. patented or patent pending. Yeah. And yeah. it's so simple. Like, yeah. I mean, the building industry has known about it for like 800 years or right. probably thousands of years. It probably right. goes back to Egypt or something. Right. But anyway, I, I was a big fan of it, and I thought it was good. And I think anytime the discussion is intelligent, the way Dane's is, exactly. it's a great thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And we're, you're right. Either you and I together or one of us individually definitely owes Dane a platform to discuss this kind of in detail. Yeah. Um, the way that I see it is, look, surfing's growing, undeniably. Like, with the wave pools, with the Olympics, surfing's growing. And so all if you look at all domestic manufacturing industries over the last couple hundred years, they hit a point of going from a cottage thing into an industrial thing. And one of the very first thing that happens is outsourcing, you know, and then those industries can adjust in certain ways. And one thing that you see, whether it's furniture manufacturing or shoes or bicycles or whatever is some of them go, We'll either, some of them say we're going to outsource entirely. Some say we're going to outsource partially, and then we'll have a product line that's made in the USA. Or some of them say we're just going to stay in the USA, but we're going to focus on quality and we're going to brand it maybe as US made. And then we're going to charge a premium for it. And you said the market will decide. Well, the market in all of those other things proves time and time again, there's room for the high end, artisanal, uh, domestically made. And there's room for Walmart to bring in televisions for $150 from overseas and shoes and everything else. And the middle thing kind of gets squeezed out oftentimes, you know, but Dane clearly has focused his business on quality domestic and charging the premium. And then if you're going to do retro fishes, there's other guys that we could name, maybe Josh Hall or somebody like that who also does they accommodate that market segment, but still does the high quality thing and charges the right, the fair price thing. Um, it's up to the individual manufacturer to recognize all of the things that are happening on the global scale and also on the uh, market side that you're talking about. Like what are the market, what does the market actually want and then cater their business to it. But you don't succeed by just pointing the finger of blame at other people. You know, and by the way, the other thing is I would like to just think that hard work trumps all like, no, 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 put your head down and work hard and the market will figure it out. No, no, no. All of these guys work super duper hard. Like the hardest working people I know aren't, are barely getting by inside and outside of surfing, you know, garbage truck guys and stuff like that. Like 
those guys don't make enough money. But so the hard work doesn't alone do it. You're going to work hard no matter whether you're successful or not. It's kind of assessing the global factors and then the market, what the market wants, and then pivoting and figuring out your exact right fit for the market and then work super hard and deliver a good quality product, you know? So that's what I got out of Dane's thing. Yeah, it was really good. Everyone should read it. What is it? Board Builders Community? Board Builders Community. We'll post on spitpodcast.com. Yeah, Yeah, it's really good. It's going to open up um, the continuation of this discussion, which has been going on for 25, 30 years, really. I mean, I remember in the 80s, there was this thing called the 101 Board Builders Association, you know, that all these guys got together and and they just made a logo. You know, like the problem is you are never going to get all of these board builders together to throw in a hundred bucks to be in some association to yeah. therefore have power, you know, yeah. like the greatest place to get everyone together is at the boardroom show. And maybe let's have a discussion about it or something like they're all together. They're all at one place. You know, that'd be a good panel discussion, dude. I agree. What's it called? What's the panel discussion? How do we all get together? And the state. Yeah. The state of, Board building, or yeah, well, no, I think domestic. I think what Dane's calling for, and I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he really wants there to be. He understands that there's power in numbers, and that's true. And every industry has a trade show, um, and we have one, and it's right. the boardroom show. Right. And so we need to use that so that we can flex a little bit. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, so anyway, I'll leave it at that. And- well, great discussion though. And by the way, I just published a podcast with Bing Copeland. Yes. Talking about his like 60 year anniversary in the yeah. Temples of Stoke exhibit here at Shack. And he talks about dealing with this back in oh, yeah. the mid sixties. Absolutely. Just like- It's the same problem. Yep. We got up and running. We are the largest manufacturer. And then everybody wanted short boards. We're a large manufacturer with a line of long boards that we're making that are branded with- uh, David Nueva, Takayama, all these guys. And overnight, it seemed, everybody wants short boards. And we can't tool change all of our tooling and manufacturing quick enough. And while we're trying to accommodate by introducing the Bonzer and a couple of things with the Campbell brothers, um, the backyard guys are just cutting a long, my old longboard in half and making it in their backyard and making it available for a half of what I can even produce it for. And that's what everybody's buying. And Dane sort of called that out too. Like that, I, the domestic market is, Dane basically said the domestic market is more of a, a threat mm-hmm. to the domestic market. The backyard than, builder always has been. Yeah. Yeah. But the, but the problem is- And it's is, not even the backyard builder. It's the guy that's in Oceanside or wherever up in say Westminster or wherever he is, that's just going direct to consumer and selling his board for four hundred dollars or four hundred fifty bucks and making like seventy five bucks a board and yeah. he can pull it off because he's living in his mom's garage. And he's a waiter at night. Yeah, yeah, and that's the guy that's undercutting the domestic price point. Oh, and always has since the Bing days that we're talking about. But here's the one crux of that is everybody came from that. I know. And those, I mean, Cal, Calvani people, himself, like Dane himself, like all of these guys start. start in the backyard. Yeah. And so they're even reticent, I think, to really poke those guys in the eye because they have some sympathy for them. Well, and it's, it's hypocritical. Yeah. But I think that, I think we're at a point now where they can say like, Hey, 
the alternative is come by my factory and start sweeping floors and we'll give you, we'll pay you and give you a a shaping bay to work out of. And by the way, also you need to charge this price for your board so that you can afford QuickBooks so that you can run the accounting so that you don't run your business into the ground, you know, stuff like that. They could teach them along the way. Yeah. So I thought it was a great conversation and it kind of reset it on the right track. Yeah, for sure. For a conversation that again, we've been having for 40 years long. We longer than I've been around. yeah. Yeah. So, all right. A lot to unpack in that. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, real quick, before we go, I want to tell you that the California Gold Surf Auction is curating, David, a special one-time only vintage light, lightning bolt surfboard auction. Ooh. Early 70s lightning bolt surfboards from the North Shore and around the world. One board is going to be auctioned from each shaper. These are vintage Lightning Bolt Surfboards. Jerry Lopez, Roy Russell, Tom Nellis, Dennis Pang, Reno Abalera, Tom Parrish, Tom Eberly, Bill Stonebreaker, Mike Diffenderfer, Barry Kanai Puni, many, many others. Um, and they have letters of authenticity signed by each shaper. These are 70s Lightning Bolts. Vintage, one-time only vintage Lightning Bolt Surfboard auction is going to be taking place in November. Epic. And we're in the process of getting these boards together. And uh, people can bid online? Yeah, it's going to all be online. What's the website? CaliforniaGoldSurfAuction.com All right, until next time. Adios and aloha. I got to be the one with you.